<laughs> As a long-standing contrarian, I can recognize it in others. <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you are enjoying this podcast, we are back with you. We have another episode of No Script, an unscripted podcast, conversation. What do we call it, Jackson? Yeah, conversation. And I said unscripted conversation usually. I know that sometimes we say podcast, so I'm going to say both. (laughs) This is No Script, an unscripted conversation or podcast about theater's (laughs) best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Today we have uh, another play. This is another Pulitzer Prize winning play. This is called Disgraced. It's by Ayad Akhtar. Yeah, uh, this was actually the first of the plays uh, that my wife gave me in her tradition of doing of giving me Pulitzer Prize winning plays for Christmas. So this play stands out in my memory as, as one that she gave me a while ago. So I'm very excited that we get to uh, talk about it today. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting play, and and my first experience with it was the end of my second uh, history of theater class and, ah. at, at our univers at the college where Jackson and I went at the end of history and theory of theater the second class which covered more recent history and theory of theater the class sort of culminated with reading the most recent Pulitzer Prize winning play as like the highlight example of the most recent kinds of theater and this was the most recent Pulitzer Prize winning play when I was in that class for those of you who like to do math you should be able to figure out at least <laughs> one of the four years that I was in college so if you're in for that kind of a challenge go for it uh, the play won the Pulitzer Prize for drama in 2013 it did a uh, premiere in Chicago and then played off Broadway and off the West End end before finally opening on Broadway at the Lyceum Theater, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, in 2014. Notably, the year that it won the Pulitzer Prize, 2013, it was up against two other plays that I quite like. One of them was 4,000 Miles by Amy Herzog, which we have talked about in our podcast this season. So you could go back and listen to that episode if you wanted to compare to 2013 finalists. Um, The other play that it was up against was a play called Rapture, Blister, Burn, which I saw produced professionally here where I live in Arkansas and quite like that play as well. Yeah, uh, I'm going to quick synopsize it just a little bit so we can uh, have a bit of a starting ground. Definitely pick up this play and read it, though. It's still in all of Barnes & Noble. You can get it online. You can get it all over the place. So definitely pick up this play and read it. You'll get a lot more out of this conversation if you do. But thank you for listening if you haven't yet. Um, This is a uh, four-scene play, all in one act, but likely you uh, would throw in an intermission or something between scene two and scene three, or at least the opportunity exists for that. Um, This uh, play takes place with the main couple of the play, which is Amir and Emily. Uh, Amir is a lawyer in a very prominent firm in New York City, um, and he is kind of going for a partnership within that firm. Um, it's, uh, I'll find the, I'll find the firm eventually and I'm sure the name will come up, but, uh, he is, he is working hard for, uh, ah, Leibowitz, Bernstein and Harris is the, the firm that he works for. And his wife, Emily is an artist, uh, a visual artist, and she is, uh, kind of contending for a, a place for her art in an upcoming show, which takes up a lot of the, uh, the movement of the play going forward is, is that, that movement, then also they have uh, his nephew Abe is another character. Uh, his uh, his um, other name is Hussein, and this is uh, probably a good moment to mention that Amir is Pakistani, and uh, his family is from Pakistan. Uh, they immigrated to the United States and have lived there for a while. His nephew has recently immigrated from uh, Pakistan, and um, Emily is is white. She is American. Um, Abe is there. He he comes in and uh, asks for Amir's help. Amir is a lawyer. He used to be a defense lawyer. Now he is in uh, what what is corporate the corporate uh, law doing mergers and acquisitions. Yes, thank you. Um, Abe asks for his help with an imam who has been arrested. He believes un uh, unjustly for collecting funds for uh, their uh, their mosque, and Amir eventually agrees to go help 
with that situation, which sets off a kind of a spiral of events that leads us into the play. The other thing that... Well, yeah, is... it's sort of unclear to exactly how much he agrees to help. Right. All that we really know is that he went to the trial on Thursday and ended up being asked by a report or something, which is what sets off the latter half of the plot. But yeah. I, I'm always interested in, in what he actually agreed to do, whether he just agreed, I'll just go watch the trial so I know what's going on, and he just managed to get caught up in it, whether he was thinking about being joining the legal team. I'm not sure. It's not totally clear. Yeah. Yep. He says that uh, – What is what is the one that he says? He says that he is a – uh, he is like a, a counsel, not like not his lawyer, but a counsel, right? Like a, a, a special no, it, counsel. No, to he him. says that he is not a counsel for the defense. He, and that becomes a big issue because he's reported in this post about the trial. This uh, po- this article in the Washington Post reports him as being a supporter of the imam. But it, they also say, well, he's a lawyer for this firm right after saying the imam is surrounded by his team of lawyers. And then they quote a lawyer. Lawyer who is Amir. And Amir, his right. point is, look, I am not counsel for the defense. I told that to the reporter. They should have put that in there because now it looks like I'm on his defense team. Right. Yes. So s- somehow, regardless, he stands up in court and is given time to say something. <laughs> and uh, it is it is logged in the New York Times. And that kind of puts some of his work life in jeopardy leading forward. Um, we'll, we'll get into the, the details of that. The only other jumping off point that I want to kind of hit at the beginning is Emily gets uh, a show for her artwork that she is working on. Um, and uh, Isaac is another uh, large character within this. He's the curator of that show. Um, he also is connected to the family as he's married to Jory, who is Amir's co-worker um, at, the, at the law firm. So those characters will show up. They come over eventually for kind of the, culm- the the big moment of this play, which is the dinner scene. It's scene three, takes up a lot of time in the play, and it's a, mostly a dinner scene between Amir and Emily and Isaac and Jory, and they're there to kind of celebrate that Emily has been accepted into the show. Right, and into Isaac's show. He's the he's the curator of this show, I guess. It's, it's his creation and invention, and he's invited her to be a part of it. it. It is interesting what you mentioned right away there, that the play takes place in one act. And more normally, more typically, more stereotypically probably, we think of one act as also being one scene. But of course, that's not necessarily true. This is a four-scene play, but it does mm-hmm. take place in one act. And the course of what is covered all takes place in a mere and Emily's apartment. Yeah. And one of the features of their apartment is a large bust of what I believe is a Hindu god. Am I correct about that? Yeah. Yep. Right. Shiva, right? Shiva. Yeah, yeah. So, Jackson, why does he have the bust? And how does that play into what his plot is for this show? Sure. Well, it was, I mean, uh, structurally, the character was given this by Mort, right? The, uh, the, the uh, overlord of this company, uh, this this lawyer firm that he works for, and he's given it um, as as a gift. And it kind of serves, I kind of received it as a bit of foreshadowing of, of how much they actually know about him. <laughs> um, because he uh, says that he is, uh, so it comes out through the course of the play, play as things begin to get more and more complicated at work and people start doing background checks on him as a result of him appearing to defend the imam in court via the New York Times. Um that he said he was from India, um, and he on his on his immigration papers and on his social security, he said that he was from India, and it turns out he is actually from modern day Pakistan. But he he when when he was born there, it was when his father was born there, it was all one country. India and Pakistan were one country, so. The semantics begin to get a little bit tricky. His job sends him this idol, um, as which is a very nice, apparently, uh, bust of of Shiva, well, the yeah, goddess. Yeah, it's it's a gift. It's a it's like a Christmas gift from yeah. Amir's boss Mort for doing such a good job. And apparently, it's a really expensive statue. Right. And Emily's like, "Why did he get you a statue of a Hindu god? <laughs> Why not buy you a nice watch right. or uh, you know whatever else, a nice piece of jewelry?" or something does he think you're hindu <laughs> yeah <laughs> and amir kind of kind of brushes it off well he might have said something about that one time and i never corrected him on it right but yeah. that's a i think that that's an important 
point in the progression of the play because this takes place in scene one before we learn much of what Jackson just described. And when he wrote India on the forms, it wasn't on immigration paperwork. It was on his application for the job. Right. Um, I, I suspect he probably could not have gotten through immigration lying about the country where he was from, <laughs> right, right, right. probably. But he did lie about it or kind of lie, semantics, you know, gray area uh, about the country on his job application, which comes up later. But one of the things that that all of that has to do with is this idea that Amir is pretending not to be Pakistani and not to be Muslim. He has sort of decided within himself that if he can sort of pass as an Indian person, that his life will be easier without this shadow of Islam and of Pakistani heritage, what that means in the world, especially post 9-11, which comes up, uh, what that means in the world. If he can remove that shadow from him, he'll have a more successful life. And perhaps how successful his life is dictates that he's had some success with that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And and just kind of the, he is, he was raised in uh, Islam. He was a, a Muslim as a, a, ch- a child and a very good one, apparently, by his family's account. And he is a self-described apostate from that. And much of this play is him kind of uh, critiquing uh, others around him who are uh, in- interacting with Islam. Um, what is the the big visual bookend of this play? The, 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 the what is What is the kind of main ire that uh, is kind of thrown in his face often throughout this play that begins in scene one and ends scene four. Right, yeah. I I will answer that question in one moment, but let me answer it by accessing the other part of of the plot, which is Emily's artwork. So Emily is a visual artist, as Jackson said. She's a painter primarily, and she used to do these landscapes, but those landscapes apparently were not getting her very far in the art world. So prior to the start of the play, she has transitioned her artwork into to using Islamic forms, patterns and repetitions that would be found in ancient Islamic artwork, etc. And she is doing it, she claims, I'm not sure if Amir agrees with her, but she claims that she's doing it in service to Islam rather than ironically, rather than cultural appropriation, rather than as she's accused at one point of Orientalism, rather than all of that, she is claiming to be doing it in service to one of the great religions of the world and in, in service to all of that Islam has brought to Western art uh, through, th- you know, she she makes statements like we wouldn't have Aristotle if there wasn't Islam. If you go see this collection of Islamic artwork in Europe, your life is going to be changed. Your outlook on the art world will be changed. We have to access this core of where we've come from in terms of art. So that's sort of her argument for moving into these Islamic forms in her paintings. And most of what she's doing are abstracts. Um, they're visual patterns that, I don't know, there's some art jargon in there about exactly what she's doing <laughs> in terms of the technique, which obviously is not something I can access very right. well. performance not, artists talking I, about visual art. Right, yeah, I doodle occasionally, but that's about as close as I get. Um, but so, so there's all of that. And that's all sort of prior to the first part of the play, her transition into this art form. The first scene of the play is her beginning a new piece, which is going to be a portrait of a mirror. And it's it's going to be a portrait of him dressed in these really nice clothes that he wears to work. Apparently, he's obsessed with these $600 nice white shirts and he has, a you know, sort of a beautiful suit. And so it's a portrait of him in that. And it comes from or it's inspired by a portrait that another famous painter did of his servant. And I don't know, Jackson, you want to talk for a minute about how that inspiration came and what the connection is? Yeah, so it's a it's a very convoluted one. Um, uh, so the portrait is of uh, Vel- Velasquez's, and uh, we've already said that we're terrible at pronunciations. So forgive me for my poor pronunciation of this Spanish painter. Wait, you can't uh, steal that from me. <laughs> <laughs> I need to claim that for myself. <laughs> Yes, I got I got French down, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I got French. Spanish down yet, alas. <laughs> um, but it's the portrait of Juan de Perea, I think is how I'm going to say that. And um, and it is a, 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 a painting of Velazquez's assistant. Um, uh, or that, or I'll, that's I'll, what, play, I'll play a mirror yeah. in this exchange. You'll say assistant and I'll say slave. Yes, Emily. Emily claims throughout this conversation that she that 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 uh, it was an assistant and. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so this this painting is uh, a picture of, I, I believe it's like captioned a picture of the Moor um, in the play. And um, so there's this tension right away of this comparison to to Amir and this servant and uh, this this they argue as we have mentioned a lot about uh, the the parallels with it being a slave and he's like don't you think it's a little messed up that you're painting me like this but it's cued because they were out to dinner and uh, they uh, they had this interaction with a waiter who made some assumptions about Amir and Amir just like took him down basically he he countered all of the uh assumptions and had a conversation uh, of some sort with him and that impressed Emily to the point that it evoked this pic- this painting that she had seen in and, a, in and a museum and it evoked it because the painter was known for painting these portraits of royalty and she says that actually this painting, this portrait of an assistant, of a slave, is far more nuanced and detailed. It's a far better painting. There's more yeah. to discover in it than his paintings of royalty. So she says, similar to how people saw you and made assumptions about you and then discovered the sort of rich tapestry that is you as a real person, not as the stereotype they view you, people would see this painting and they would think stereotype, oh, it's just a painting of a servant. And then they would discover that it's got this sort of beautiful, rich layers of depth underneath. So that's the comparison she made. That's why she claims this inspiration. Amir is notably and perhaps understandably uncomfortable with right. that comparison. Yeah. Um, especially <laughs> as a, you know, a minority person who's married to a white woman and there's already some racial stereotype and tension around that particular view of their relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's it, it kind of comes and it keeps coming up too. like throughout the play. This uh, painting kind of surfaces and floats through the scenes um, in scene one, scene two. And then in scene four, it has explicit appearances <laughs> to uh, kind of c- continue to evoke and, and go along the journey with these characters and not let up on that that uh, kind of stasis of of two different viewpoints approaching this painting and getting getting different things from it. So perhaps the main conflict of the play is between Emily's art evolution into these Islamic forms and Amir's particular disdain for the Islamic religion. Having come from a Muslim background, he has a really strong opinion of Islam. And his opinion is very negative. He mm-hmm. believes it's – I'm just quoting him at this point. He says it's a backward way of living. He said it was a religion developed for people living in the desert who now that they are not living you know, in, in um, post uh, pre-modern times, now that they're living in cities and towns and have modern amenities, they've discovered that Islam doesn't really fit with it. So they're, they're basically trying to remake the world back into this sort of desert tribal landscape. That's his sort of opinion of Hamas and Al-Qaeda, uh, etc. And, and so he, he really pushes back against the idea that Islam has cultural relevance in a positive way. That, you know, Emily likes to make this claim that it's, you know, it's our roots. There's so much wisdom in it. There's so much uh, incredible ways that it developed how we think about the world today. And he says, well, actually, it's a religion about beating your wife. (laughs) It's a religion about uh, 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 forcing people to dress in certain ways. It's got all these controlling aspects to it because, you know, he talks about how the word Islam means submission. It's all about the idea of submitting and that may not be cultural culturally relevant anymore and at the very least it's dangerous amir says for people nowadays yeah and it's it's all i mean it's this play is brilliant in how it couches this conflict with a bunch of different viewpoints around it you have amir who is steeped in islam from his childhood and is an apostate now he's turned away from it you have uh, emily who is interacting with it in a very artistic sense kind of removed from the religiosity of it, but approaching it for its sacredness and and what it can do in the context of sacred art. And there's um, a great moment where that comes up. Uh, they're talking, they're, they're doing this debate, this is the dinner scene, about all of this. And uh, uh, the the art curator, um, Isaac, said, is talking about, oh, Amir, you don't really get it. We were looking at this great Muslim artwork, these pillars that they developed in these beautiful sculptures, and Amir just sort of interrupts him and is like, have you ever read the Quran? Yeah. Let me tell you that pillars have nothing to do with it. 
Right. And that comes up. Isaac is uh, Jewish. And so you have another viewpoint in there of him uh, kind of uh, grappling with this, with this, uh, the greater meaning of Islam within the context of art. And, and, uh, and his his partners and uh, bosses at work are also Jewish. So right. there, there's some, you know, if, if there's a main religious conflict in the play, it would be between Judaism and Islam, although I'm not sure that's totally the point. But that tension comes up significantly. It does. And this is maybe a good time to do our, uh, you know, kind of typical <laughs> uh, moment where we say we're two white guys and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, you and know, we are we're not Jewish or not uh, Jewish Muslim. or Muslim. Um, so we are going to be talking about this play from uh, our perspective and and uh, our, our artistic perspective. We'll be taking on a lot of kind of Emily's position in some ways. And uh, so we, we would like to acknowledge our, our, our own cultural shortcomings as we enter into some of this topic, because this play is steeped in that, especially once it gets to the dinner scene, Isaac and uh, Amir wind up uh, bringing up a lot of that kind of cultural tension between them um, almost as they devolve a little bit into the evening. You you see them both kind of starting as these these uh, pillars of, of, of intellect and knowledge and uh, eventually they devolve full into kind of sparring uh, <laughs> uh, opposites as they're as they uh, progress through the evening and attack each other with their their no their knowledge. Right, and and that devolution of the conflict, the main conflict in the play, happens partially because Isaac, prior to scene three, uh, I believe that this would have happened between scenes two and three. And what happened, we learn, is that Isaac who is not married to Emily, Emily's married to Amir, Isaac and Emily slept together while they were in London. And that is something that is not revealed or really even hinted at until uh, very late in the play. And it serves as a a kind of odd reshifting of the plot. What was this intensely interesting debate about the nature of Islam, the nature of art, how, you know, cultural relevance exists, whether art is a fair representation of religion, what race means to these different conversations, this really interesting dinnertime conversation between young professionals um, devolves into this sparring match about an affair basically and and that occupies a lot of the rest of the play sure but we the the fun thing is if if that is the subtext especially of Isaac um we don't know it so throughout throughout the dinner party itself um he's just he's he's pushing Amir is pushing as well <laughs> like it's pretty even but Isaac continues to kind of pick away at Amir and Amir is getting the other the other thing we've recently done our wilderness and talked about how alcohol is used in plays and alcohol is used in this play very uh, purposefully within the context of Amir in scene 3 because he is drinking throughout the evening going back to the bar and getting more and more I think scotch is what they're drinking so he's not just he's not lightly drinking over the evening he is getting more and more removed of his inhibitions as this conversation continues and I think Isaac keeps pecking at him throughout this uh, interaction you're right and I think that that's the connection I was trying to make is that you were talking about this de-evolution of the conversation and it's related to the idea that I think that these two combatants and there's really more but let's talk about just these two right now Amir and Isaac are coming from different places. Amir is coming from this place of having grown out of, in his mind, escaped the confining submissiveness of his Islamic upbringing. And Isaac, I think, is mostly coming from this place of having slept with his wife and being jealous that he's with her. And so wanting to pick a fight about anything and everything. At one point, Amir accuses him of playing the contrarian. And Isaac's like, no, I'm not. And everybody's kind of like, eh, okay. Aren't you? He's sort of being the contrarian right now. Yeah. As a long-standing contrarian, I can recognize it in others. (laughs) 
Well, the and and then the other person. I, I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on scene three because that's where a lot of this business happens. So I wanted to kind of unpack the other person who is there, who is Jory. Um, Jory is Isaac's wife, but Amir's co-worker as well at the firm. And the kind of subtext that she is bringing to this event it adds its own complicate of just a beautifully complex scene as you slowly unwrap more and more of everyone's subtext within this this scene because Jory is there with the knowledge that she has just been asked to be a partner in the firm. Which um, is the job Amir is after. Yes. And so she's coming knowing that Amir is not getting the promotion he wanted, which is a fairly big deal, and uh, that she is. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. The scene three is uh, it's really a study in how to bring together characters with shifting goals and backgrounds. These mm-hmm. these are four individual people on their own individual plot, on their own individual journey, and then journeys as couples as well alongside of that, and then a journey as a friend group alongside of that. And that it's just masterful. And if you're a young playwriting student, you might be interested to just read this play just to look at that. Even if you don't like the rest of the play, look at the way the playwright brings together characters with opposing goals or at the very least different goals and different journeys Mm -hmm. to interact in the same plot moment. Yeah, and and slowly reveal what their what their you know goals and intentions are. Um, there's a great foreword in in my uh, version of the play that uh, that Ed Oktar writes to to the person reading the play, and uh, he talks about absence in it and how plays. Uh, allow white space and then slowly fill in piece by piece. Different from a novel that tells you things, um, plays slowly bring about the revealing of information by way of precise use of words and absence of those words. So uh, I think that's what this play does really well is it kind of shows you these full, it full, very full characters. Like you're interacting with them even early on and you're like, okay, I get who these people are. But then slowly the blanks begin to get filled in and you begin to real think you have to think back on actions done a scene ago and be like, oh, wow, that's what you were going for? Wow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So let's do our due diligence on scene one and two here before we dive into the real meat of it. So scene one is primarily about this portrait that Emily is painting of Amir. And there's this this longstanding tension is sort of developed about Amir's particular disdain for Islam and Emily's particular affection for it. And there there is this racial element too, right? Which is that Emily as a white woman is the one defending Islam, while Amir as a Pakistani man is the one who has these fairly harsh criticisms of it. And that racial element continues and is actually born again, really, into scene three, where Isaac and Emily are the ones defending Islam, and they are two white people, and Jory and Amir are the ones offering their criticisms of Islam as two non-white people, Right, Uh, Amir being Pakistani and Jory Jory being African-American. Right. Yep. And that continues. That continues into scene two as well. Uh, Amir is is still he's focused on another problem, his work problem in that scene. But he is critical of Isaac coming over to look at the artwork that Emily is about to kind of un- unveil. But then he leaves, and eventually the conversation about whether or not this art piece <laughs> should be used, this uh, you know is Islam inspired art piece should be used, is taken place between two white people. <laughs> Making that decision and and whether or not it's orientalism, orientalism to be (laughs) okay. (laughs) You got there. (laughs) Orientalism to uh, to use it this way, and and that conversation is taken is spoken of in the context without anyone of of the Islamic persuasion in the room. Right. I would say that might be one of the primary functions of scene two. The first part of it is to sort of establish Amir's plot at work going forward, uh, which is that now this newspaper article has appeared sort of putting him in the same world as this imam, almost claiming that he's one of the attorneys defending him, which Amir knows might be dangerous for him at work and why he didn't want to do it in the first place. But he went and he very intentionally said, I'm not counsel for the defense, but the newspaper writer left that out. The journalist. I don't know why right. I said newspaper writer. The journalist. <laughs> that's what they're called. Yeah. Um, left that out. So there's that first part. And then the second part of scene two, I think, does the work to establish Emily's sincerity in her interaction with Islamic art. 
Yeah, I'd agree. The the other kind of interesting um, question that you need to ask in scene two, um, along with her sincerity and her her purity of purpose, which I think she puts on display in that in that scene, um, it's a decision of the the production then to see if you want to insinuate anything between her and Isaac in that scene because they spend a good deal of that scene alone. Um, and, uh, I think though, though the, the words of the play do not insinuate any sort of, uh, relationship beginning between them, that scene is an opportunity and, and it, and it's an opportunity that will flavor the play for, for those of you who are uh, on the production teams running this play or whatever. Um, this, this decision, this scene where they are alone, you can, uh, foreshadow some of what eventually we find out in scene three. Well, and it sets up some of the explanation for why Emily would have done this. Uh, between scenes two and three when there does not seem to be any significant romantic connection between her and Isaac. But what does happen is that she has a whole fight with Amir about this part of his Muslim heritage. And then he leaves and Isaac is there and he is appreciative of her artwork. It sets up this world that she lives in in which she and Amir have a hard time connecting about the things that are so important to her, her artwork, his background. Um, and then Isaac arrives and is uh, totally willing and happy to, to have those connections with her. So it aligns Isaac and Emily and distances Emily and Amir in a way that I think has to do the work of making the reveal of scene three make sense. Because I think that if you were going to offer at least one piece of criticism of this play might be that the affair seems like a little bit of a cop-out, a way to create some extra tension that drives Amir to do what he's going to do without maybe doing the work of using the building blocks that are already there. I'm not sure that that's a criticism that I agree with because I think scene two does the effective job of making that building block so that when the affair is revealed, we're at least on board with why it might have happened. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, w while be because of the suddenness, because of the way that it is revealed so late, I, I, I agree that kind of the, the, the theatrical uh, critique in me is like, well, that was that was <laughs> where did that come from? But I, I, I think that as as per the uh, the, the preface that uh, Akhtar writes in, in this play, the slow reveal, the not telling you um, the the stuff you don't get from reading it. Uh, becomes more apparent when you are there in the scene and that's the decision of what you do in scene two what the physicality of these characters are in scene two and that can be the building block that that allows that moment to happen in scene three uh well and if you're emily if you're the actress playing emily you have to do some work to clearly uh, uh, exemplify, clearly display the ways in which Amir's treatment of her artwork and his personal concerns about what's going on at work negatively affect her and cause her this distress so that then when Isaac shows up and is so glowingly appreciative of the work that she's doing and offers her a chance to defend herself from charges of Orientalism and then basically just smiles and says, you're right, you're definitely right. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Throughout the rest of that scene, we've you're going to have to do the work to show us how that releases some of that tension from her, how her demeanor and encounters change when there's support for what she's doing rather than this really open hostility about it. Right, right. That, that just cued in my mind the last the last words of scene two as well, which is this really awkward interaction and you breeze over it when you're reading it. But it's like this, it's this moment where if you read it correctly, it's like Isaac looking too long. Um, this like, uh, um, uh, let, let's see if I can, uh, I'll find it. Yeah. Um, Isaac, Isaac, uh, Emily just wraps up a, uh, a great little mini treatise on, on, uh, why we draw from Greeks and the Romans and why we don't draw from Islam as, as part of art. And his response is, huh? <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and you breeze over it when you're reading, but how, and, and yeah, it's, 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 huh? Emily says, what? He's like, no, this is good. And she says, yeah, that's the end of the scene after this really compelling treatise on things. Like, I think how you choose to do those, you know, one syllable lines really indicates indicates well, things going and forward. And I think that the other thing that scene two does is 
help us to put in context the debate about art. First of all, we just because Amir is not in the room to contest her, we're able to get a lot more of her side of the debate, which is about really the artistic heritage of Islam and what that brings has brought to Western art and the art that she's doing. So we get a lot of that that argument, which is great because then in scene three, we don't have to spend as much time rehashing that part of it. And Amir can really just counter it without too much detail. But I also think within thematic elements of the play, within the philosophy of the play, it's really interesting how compelling that art, the argument from art sounds in scene two when nobody's around to contest it. (laughs) When all you talk about is the art, like Emily and Isaac do, they're artists in scene two, it seems like a really compelling case. And it's not until scene three when Amir finally says, you know that religion is not art, right? (laughs) Like, I, I mean, I understand that there's this artistic heritage, but that's not what Islam is. Right. That it's not until somebody finally says that that you sort of wake up and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about art this whole time. That's not really the point. Oh. It's not the religion. Oh, I see. <laughs> and so I, I think that it's a, re- it's a really interesting way of highlighting um, – let me say – let me try to take a stab at it and just forgive me if I, if I don't say something quite right here. But it's an interesting way of highlighting the way that two white people might talk about Islam when they're alone, right? Which is right. Well, look at this great cultural heritage and this – all the ways that it's influenced our art and our thinking. And then someone who has been burned by the religion who comes in later and sort of makes that conversation that they had and seemed to seem pretty whitewashed. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because he's coming from a, a completely different perspective of actually being steeped in the religion and and uh, coming out of it. And 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 I, I absolutely agree that 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 you know you 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 realize halfway through the scene as he's really as Amir really starts to lay into Isaac in scene three where you went along the same path, or I did. Um, I realized where I went along the same path with uh, Isaac and Emily as they were talking about and kind of removing themselves from uh, the, the, the religion itself. And that's what Amir has the, the biggest problem with, is that he can't, he is, he is grappling with uh, unable, being a, unable to justify his uh, religion that he was raised up in, in the modern context of what he is trying to deal with in everyday life. And everyone else around him, all these artists around him, seem to be not really caring too much about that. He's well, and, also, and they don't seem to to access, at least Amir would think, the practical reality of Islam as he's experienced it, right. which is pretty negative. And he gives us a couple of really specific examples of that. I'll get to the more impactful one in a minute. But one that he talks about when his nephew Abe or Hussein is in the room is this idea of um, – Islamic people thinking white women especially are whores, or at least that's a common cultural attitude that Amir notices in his family, his relatives, his friends, where, you know, because there's this culture of modesty coming from Islam and Western culture is not so much that way anymore, Amir talks to Abe about, well, haven't you heard people that you know talk about white women being, you know, taking their clothes off to get attention and being whores? And Abe's like, well, not not everybody thinks that. And Amir says, but you know somebody who does. You know multiple people who does. And you've heard your mother say that, haven't you? And right. he sort of rests his case there. So there's this one interaction, which is that Amir sees his culture treat uh, people, at least in that way, in a negative way. That's mm-hmm. his opinion. And then he ha- he talks about this really personal negative experience about this girl that he had a crush on when he was really young, and she had a Jewish name, and her mother found – or his mother, I'm sorry, found a note from her with her name on it and basically said, you're not going to be with a Jewish girl over my dead body, and she spit in his face. Mm-hmm. And then he was at school the next day, and this girl he had a crush on came up, and he said, well, you have a Jewish name. And she said, well, yes, I'm Jewish. And then he spit in her face. Right. And that, for me, is a really powerful story because I think that that story helps us access why he's so angry about it and where he's coming from. Because I think he sees or is potentially worried not just about the harm that he perceives Islam brings to the world, but the harm that he would bring through him. Right. And and the kind of the carrying the shame of that as he – as he has lived through life and and I think suppressing a lot of it as well. 
you get the sense that this this evening is like kind of an explosion of, of of a lot of suppressed feelings that he has about it that he's finally letting out in the open. The thing that we don't see, the thing that is uh, outside of the purview of the scenes of this play, is work is not going well for him either. Um, uh, we we learn a little bit about uh, th- through Jory, his coworker, uh, the one who uh, received the promotion to become partner at the firm, that he's uh, he's basically being kind of uh, attacked at work in some ways by uh, one of the other partners, Stephen, and he's uh, uh, breaking down in meetings and and uh, seeing seeing the uh, the facade that he has put up of himself. Um, beginning to get picked away at, and despite all of his trying to turn away from these things, he is still being profiled as someone who defends an imam in court. Right, because um, that's sort of where this problem at work started. Now, there's some history that we learn over the course of the play that maybe the partners at this firm don't like him as much as he thought that they did. Right. Definitely this one named Stephen doesn't like him at all. So when this article appears that seems to insinuate he's on the defense team for an imam who's accused of collecting money for terrorists— Stephen, who I think we're meant to infer is a pretty right-wing guy, uh, one of the other characters talks about how he's a big fundraiser for Netanyahu, and, and that he 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 is not gonna you know he really should have stayed far away from that imam with Stephen around. He really is not gonna like that. Right. And so what happens is when this article comes out, Stephen I think rallies the troops a little bit to investigate Amir, and they discover some of the things we've talked about, that he said he was from India on his application for the company when actually he's from Pakistan, modern-day Pakistan, uh, historical India, Um, and that he changed his name. His name used to be Amir Abdullah, and now it's Amir Kapoor. So there's things like that that start to get revealed that make the people at his work suspicious of him, and all of this we learn force causes him to like Jackson said, be breaking down at work, accusing Stephen of being discriminatory against uh, middle Eastern people and all. So yeah, work is not going well. That was a (laughs) good description. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) And he doesn't even know yet at the top of scene three that he hasn't made partner, but that's of course the culmination of all of that work is not going well. Right. Right. Which is kind of the brilliance of scene three. We start seeing him, uh, he's already he's already drinking pr- prior to anyone being there. He's alone in the room at the start, and he's 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 drinking, and and just that continues through the night. And you see piece by piece things begin to edge in on him a little bit. And uh, Isaac pokes at him for a while, and eventually everyone uh, talking about talking about his 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 former religion eggs at him for a while, and then he goes. He he gets it to such a point with Isaac that Emily pulls him out of the room and they have words off stage and he goes out to buy champagne and everything's going to be okay. We're going to toast you, you, Emily, getting into the show. And he leaves with Jory and Jory tells him about the partnership. And <laughs> then they come back. Jory discovers, as she, as she rightly believes from a, a, an intimate moment between Isaac and Emily, that they are having an affair. And he comes in the room after her, having not seen that, and sees her accusing. He has just had this really contentious argument with Jory about her making partner. And so he blames her, and Jory and Isaac leaves. And then what, the, <laughs> like, all of this is bottled up in a mirror and coming out throughout this 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 whole scene. And it 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 ranges in kind of its violence throughout. What are kind of the beats as as we see as we see this um this this suppressed emotion coming out of Amir. Well, the first beat in scene three is that we open that scene with Amir out on his patio or his uh, balcony, balcony there in an apartment, you know, out, outside somehow, however you design the set. And he's, he's drinking already and smashes his glass into the ground. That's the first beat of scene three. So... You cannot, I think, if you're an audience member, at that point you go, oh, no. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's where we're starting? <laughs> <laughs> That's what people do at the violent climax of a scene. <laughs> this is where this one's beginning? Uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> What's going to happen now? Um, <laughs> and so, that, so that's the first beat. Yep. And then as it continues, um, probably the next beat is 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 how in each other's face they are. Um, um, Amir, right away, kind of, uh, even at the good news that Isaac is uh, taking four or five of Emily's paintings, he's like, okay, so you're taking five. 
um, and uh, right away kind of sets the tone for this um, through, as, as the scene develops. And then the, the argument between him and Isaac about the, the, uh, the way uh, Islam is used in her art becomes more and more racially fueled, I believe, as is kind of the next big uh, uh, antagonistic beat towards each other. Right, because the bulk of this scene three is this argument that ensues about Islam in the wake of Emily being offered this show where her artwork that's, like we've said, based in Islamic forms is going to be displayed. So that occupies the bulk of scene three. And really just what happens is the argument builds and builds and builds as it does in every play throughout history, right? People start an argument and it builds and builds and builds to the point where it's going to become explosive. Uh, And then as Jackson said, Amir leaves with Jory. There's an explosion there that we see off stage. They discover the affair. Jory and Isaac leave. In the end of scene... Go ahead. Well, before before they leave, though, it, it culminates. Isaac and uh, Amir are are still fighting with each other, and now there's the tension of is Isaac cheating on Jory with Emily? And Amir spits in his face by oh, the end of right. that scene, yes. which is a kind of a big uh, spitting in faces is is a theme throughout this play, and so that is uh, you know he's 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 drumming up something from from uh, further back in his history again in this moment. And, and that's not just out of the air, right? It's part of this whole building tension and then Amir leaves and they come back and now the affair might be out in the open and Amir is really angry with Jory. Mm-hmm. So he's saying some pretty terrible things about her as well, which yeah. Isaac you know, rushes to his wife's defense and that culminates in him spitting in his face. And Isaac threatens to punch him first right. too. So mm-hmm. it's not just Amir like flying off the handle. It's getting, it's getting physical. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he spits in his face. Um, Isaac burns him and leaves, basically says a last word and drops the mic and heads out um, without Jory. <laughs> and then Jory eventually follows out. And then the... the, the, the at- right, and then the, the terrible moment of the play occurs, which is that they leave and... Um, all right, before I get to it, let me also set up uh, the, the the context here too. As part of the debate about the nature of Islam, um, Amir brings up that in the Quran, it allows and even encourages men to beat their wives. If, if you haven't read the play, you have a guess now. I'm sure what's coming. Um, and Amir makes the argument that basically it says, if your wife's not listening to you, you take all these steps and then you're allowed to beat her. And Emily, rushing to the defense of Islam, says, well, the translation might not mean that. It could also mean leave your wife. We don't really know. And Amir says, well, that's not how it's been interpreted for hundreds of years. (laughs) Right, right. Men have been beating their wives. Um, And and Emily and I say, well, not everybody. You know, they make all the sort of the normal arguments there at that point. So that's in the backstory. And then everybody leaves. Amir and Emily alone on stage. Amir, all of this crushing down on him. Uh, he asks, did you sleep with him? And Emily says, yes. And what occurs and ends the scene is Amir attacks her. Uh, the script calls for her to hit her pretty violently at least three times, maybe more. And the, the playwright even makes the recommendation that in order that the violence looks brutal and realistic enough, you may want to hide it in some way so it doesn't look like traditional stage violence to make, to make it really seem brutal. Um, and, uh, the play, the scene ends with Abe, his nephew walking in to discover what Amir has done. Mm-hmm. And, and with Amir kind of saying, you know, what oh, yeah, have I done? He's realized that he's exploded in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just sort of a continuation of this. The, the real problem for Amir, I think, and me being a white guy, I, I'm going to sure. tell, I'm gonna tell sure. you all about Amir. <laughs> Let me explainify him for you. No, right, but right. I, I mean, dramatically, it seems to me that Amir is not just philosophically, theologically opposed to Islam, but has this deep fear of what Islam would do to him what kind of a person he would be if he embraced it. And it began with this horrifying traumatic incident of spitting in this young woman, this young girl. She was a school kid's face. And he's obviously he's carried that memory with him of what his mother's religion made him do. 
and he remains worried through his life about what, what Islam is going to do to him, enough that he pretends to be from India. He changes his name. It's all part of this pretending that he's not who he is, I think in part because he's potentially scared of who he is. And unfortunately, this incident is not going to, you know, this is just going to be another point for him. You know, when I was a kid, I spit in this girl's face. When I was a man, I beat this woman. Mm -hmm. And it's all, I think, going to be part of Amir's fear of himself, potentially, which is which is connected to the fear of Islam, but is not the same and might be the real basis for his disdain towards Islam is actually a fear of himself. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. He's he's afraid of what the steeping in it that has gotten into his bones, he describes it as, um, has done to him. Because he, he also throughout the course of the argument with uh, Isaac, he kind of admits some some uh, terrible things about himself that uh, w- during the 9-11 attacks, he felt a feeling. I think he is trying to say he felt a feeling that he was ashamed of and that feeling was pride that they were winning. And in the context of the argument, he's trying to say, this is what Islam is doing to me. <laughs> but Isaac receives it as, you felt what? Right. And, 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 and this is what Islam is doing to me because it is irrelevant. It's, it doesn't apply to the modern world anymore. It's from this tribal time when people were at war for, with each other all the time, these tribes, and you had to be with your tribe. And that, that's, that's part of what Islam is, Amir makes the argument. And so when the 9-11 attacks happen, I still have this tribalism in me, and it's horrifying is his point. Mm-hmm. And I think within the context of the argument, Isaac leaves him out to dry, kind of, because that is, I, I don't, Isaac says, no, I've never felt anything like that. But that is, you know, you can feel that feeling of like, my side is winning, and it feels good. Like, I think that is a common, a common thing for people who have been steeped in whatever kind of belief system you want, is it feels good. Even though your brain is saying you're trying to, you know, balance things out and be the most evolved human you can be, but your brain, your bones are saying, my side is winning and pride is a thing that is triggered. So I absolutely agree that this moment is another manifestation of those, the, the <laughs> what is in his bones coming out and it, and it hits him hard in that moment and it hits, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a, a, a final breaking of the dam that he's like it it really is you know still coming out of me and it's awful right and for me i think that that really helps me in terms of the broader piece of the play is to think about amir's personal conflict with his inner self i guess that sounds kind of lame to say but i think that that's what i mean um because the broader points that he's making about Islam are, and again, I'm a white guy, but it seems like at least the two white characters in the play have some fair arguments, which are, you know, you're kind of generalizing the people who follow Islam. You're picking sort of the worst of Islam and saying that that represents the entirety of the people group, which is obviously not the case. And so their points, uh, while I think they are overwhelmed by the wave of Amir's disdain for his religious upbringing, their points, I think, do ring some truth and and maybe even ring some truth with Amir at some subconscious level that caused him to sort of keep making it more personal. Well, it's not about the religion. It's about me as the as the course of the conversation goes on. Mm hmm. Yeah. So then then we have the denouement, right? Pretty much. <laughs> you have the the scene four of the play, which is. Uh, weeks after or days? I think it's weeks after. I think it's months, actually. You're right. I six think months. Six months later. Yeah, six months after that event happens, um, uh, Amir is packing up the apartment, getting things together, um, uh, and and Abe and Emily show up at the place. And uh, Abe. And this is, is reminiscent of scene one because in scene one, that's where Abe or Hussein arrives at the apartment to ask. Um, Amir to defend this imam in court and Emily is on his side apparently Emily goes to this mosque where the imam teaches and and does some drawings and and artwork and such so she's related to that cause so she and Abe are aligned to get Amir to help them deal with this issue of Patriot Act law of uh, uh, discrimination so that happens in scene one and scene four begins immediately with an echo of that with Abe and Emily arriving aligned 
combined to convince Amir to help them with another issue of discrimination, which is? Which is uh, Amir's friend, uh, and he were at a Starbucks, and his friend was hitting on one I'm of sorry, the- Abe, Abe's friend. Yes. Th- sorry, yes. Abe, Abe and his friend were at a Starbucks, thank you, and- uh, and uh, his friend was hitting on uh, one of the baristas there, and she wasn't wasn't having it, and uh, so they they separated, and uh, she called the police on them, and they were taken in and t- taken to the FBI, and uh, questioned. They had dossiers on them. They knew where they went to school. They knew their immigration status. And uh, he comes to Amir, kind of asking for help with the situation, and Amir. Um, basically asks questions and says short statements that stay consistent with Amir, which is he doesn't really believe that uh, that Abe is doing all he can do to avoid these situations. Right, um, and eventually he does try to call a lawyer to help Abe. And the, the what Abe is worried about is that the FBI is going to try to make him become an informant or something to try to catch Islamist extremist groups living in the United States and he doesn't want to turn on his own people. And Abe's journey between scene one and subsequently scene four is really interesting as well. We've talked about the parallelism, but Abe as a character has really become opposite. In scene one, he arrives as, he is an immigrant, but he is dressed as, I think the script calls for him to be sort of dressed as normal teenage American as he can. Right. And he's changed his name. His name used to be Hussein. Now he's going by Abe. Mm-hmm. And he's he similar. Like Abe Jensen too. Right. Abe like, Jensen. Yeah. yeah. And Amir makes fun of that. And so he at that time is sort of trying to do what Amir is doing, which is sort of pretend he's not from this background to uh, to allow himself to access some of those parts of society which are unfortunately uh, unaccessible via discrimination. Uh, but then in scene four, Abe comes back and says, actually, I've changed my name back. I'm going by Hussein now. He's dressed as an Islamic person who's a, a you know a religious conservative might dress. Um, and he, you know, he's he's hanging out with these people who Amir says are sort of dangerous Islamic people that have beliefs about uh, conquering the world again, who have uh, strong opinions about things like 9/11 and such. Yeah, and 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 that yeah, that the family is kind of worried about him a little bit. Uh, Amir mentions that the sister has his sister has called him about it, and uh, so yeah, there's there's there is that tension, but this is also the. Abe comes in and he has clearly been, you know, attending, attending mosque more often. And, uh, and he, he gets the line that the play is titled of, um, which we always like, especially with plays that, that ends up happening. We like to draw attention to it. Um, Emily has left the room and uh, he doesn't know that she is listening. Um, and he kind of describes, uh, where he's at. He, he talks about a Abe, uh, talks about how, Kind of the anger that he has about uh, how Western culture has moved in, replaced their laws, made made the uh, made uh, different ethnicities trying to try to adhere to their what what they think is good, wanting to have them be like them. And he says they disgraced us, and he says it twice. They disgraced us, and then they pretend they don't understand the rage we have. And and I am intensely curious. When this evolution in Abe occurred between yeah. scene one and scene four, because I think the timing of it speaks a lot to his character and what has gone on with him. Because in scene one, we know that he really looks up to Amir, is yeah. really tied with him, treats him like someone who can take care of him, goes to him for advice. And Amir is pretending not to be Muslim, not to be from Pakistan. And so Abe is doing that as well. Right. Um, then scene four, he's not. But between scene one and scene four, a lot of things happen. One of which is that at the end of scene three, as we said, Abe comes in and sees what Amir has done to his wife, Emily. Mm-hmm. I think, and it doesn't say in the script, I just checked again, it gives no indication of how Abe is dressed at the end of scene three. And mm. I think that that is intensely important because if he's still in his sort of Western disguise at that time, then his change from being like Amir to being sort of the opposite end of the spectrum from Amir occurs after Amir has beaten up Emily. And one of the things that Abe says is, look, I looked up to you. 
I thought that you were this awesome person and look at what you did. You got fired. You beat up Emily. I can't believe you. And so part of what happened to Abe might be the result disastrously of what Amir did. Yeah, and how that informs informs him, and he was ignoring his phone calls before. So I think like I I, I would be very interested to kind of ask the uh, the, uh, the the playwright directly if uh, if what what the intention is there because I think it does I would say a lot. Imagine if the stage directions don't provide you with a, a new look for Abe, his new right. look, like it does at the top of four. I would imagine the intent is that he's sort of the same as he was in scene one would be my guess. But it doesn't say. And as a production team, that's a choice is uh, has a has this evolution in Abe or Hussein already occurred or is this something that happens after and probably as a result of the end of scene three? Right. Yep. We're, we're coming along to the end of our time, but I did want to ask one kind of large question again, and that is uh, the understanding of this play within its uh, dramatic form. Um, this is uh, it's titled as a drama. The, the play says it's a drama. Um, there is there's some uh, good comedy in it. There's some uh, tragic elements in it. And I'm wondering what you think kind of is is the the what do you think is the structure of this play? In terms of it being drama or comedy? No, in terms... Of, well, yes. Um, uh, it's I definitely think, a drama. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's a tragedy, and I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are I, on I, that. I, I agree with that statement, right? So this sort of classic Greek view of tragedy is uh, a soul character uh, with this tragic flaw that causes their undoing throughout the play. And I think that this play is about Amir's undoing. Uh, whether you could highlight a specific tragic flaw or not, there might be some room for debate there. I'm not sure I'm the right person to do that analysis right. because, as I've said, my inclinations are to think about Amir's sort of internal fear of himself rather than a sort of broader view of Islam that he has. And those specific cultural intersections aren't maybe my realm to to, to talk about more deeply than that. Um But I think that it is clear that Amir causes this himself. Mm. While there are some potentially injustices done on him through the course of the play, and there clearly have been in his past, what happens in this play is a result of his particular view and his particular desire to hide and uh, run away from who he really is. And that tragic flaw ends up resulting in this horrible end. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I think I think analysis should and could and should be done by whoever the the director is and whoever the actor is as to what the tragic flaw is. I also think that this play deals in catharsis, um, and 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 catharsis is a pet peeve of mine as well as the term tragedy. Um, th- thank you, my professor. You know who you are for for instilling this in me. Um, but. Uh, the uh, the word catharsis is a specific reaction in in terms of theater, and it's it's bandied around, but it is a reaction that is brought about through witnessing something that instills pity and fear, and and th- those two emotions combined evoke something in you: the pity of boy, that is awful, and this is terrible. <laughs> you know, the Greek tragedy people gouge their, gouge their eyes out and such, but then the fear is. It's 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 an instruction. It is I don't want this to ever happen to me. And this is the reason why I'm watching it. And I think that is the reaction that we get very clearly in scene 3 through the culmination of it. We watch in in pity and in fear as this thing develops continually then we see the denouement at the end and uh and and see the the last scene is him staring at the painting that Emily has given him again. Right, and so I, I mean, I, scene four in in this sort of tragic structure would be the scene after King Oedipus comes out and his eyes are gouged out, or after right. Creon carries on the body of his son. You know, this is the reflection scene at look at the disaster what I have done has brought about. And mm-hmm. like Jackson said, the play ends with Amir staring at this portrait of him done by now his ex wife Emily. Right. And that self-reflection 
is maybe the modern version of a tragedy, which would have reflection with the gods as sort of the end point. This look at, you know, I've been humbled by you. And Amir stares in this portrait of himself, and maybe the reaction is, I've been humbled by you. (laughs) And really, you could almost imagine Creon or Oedipus or whoever else staring at big portraits of themselves as the play ends, right? I mean, that that fits right in. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> that's I think that's playing this year at Stratford. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's that's been our conversation on Disgraced uh, by Ayad Akhtar. Um, thank you all for listening. If you have more to add to this conversation, we would love to continue the conversation with you. As we've mentioned, we approach these plays uh, from our perspective, and we'd love to include more perspectives in this conversation as well. So if you have a minute, go on over to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Our handles are at NoScriptPodcast. You can find us on there. Uh, We'd love to continue the conversation with you or by email as well, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. One of the things that you can do if you like this episode, if you like some of our other episodes, is go ahead and share them on your social media. That really helps. The more people that you can invite to join this conversation, the bigger and bigger the conversation gets. So if you would share this for us, tell people about it, that would really help us. You can access the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean, where the podcast is hosted. You can also find links to each episode on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We also have have a Patreon. If you would look us up on Patreon and think about supporting the podcast, week to week producing the podcast is not free. Uh, We do it as a labor of love, but we would also really welcome and encourage support from those who love what we do or are interested in the conversations so that this can continue and grow as we develop it. Yes, and this is the final episode of our first season. Right, Um, yes. So this is, we're we're calling this the capstone of season one Mm -hmm. of No Script. Season two will begin January 7th with a new script for the new season. We will be taking December off. So this is the last new episode released until season two begins in January. We will probably repost some of our old episodes, and that's a great time. If you missed an episode, if you haven't read some of the plays, uh, you know, do that. Read to play over the month of December and listen yeah. to our episode about it. That's a great thing to do during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. We hope that you get a break sometime this holiday season. We are excited to ourselves and we will see you January 7th for the premiere of season two of No Script. Yes, indeed. And until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to our conversation on Disgraced. We will see you in January. See ya. See ya.